0: You? And I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head.
1: Huh? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore.
0: Pay no attention to that
1: man
2: behind the curtain. It you tell me you built a time machine. How do I?
1: This is the Stupid Cancer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hello there,
0: children! Hey, hey, kids! <laughs>
2: seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Sachs. Not Nothing
1: there's anything wrong with
2: him. Because he has a lot of chit spots.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Monday, December 2nd. And welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co-host Matthew Zachary. I'm a proud 17 year young adult survivor of brain cancer. Annie Goodman is still out tonight after recovering from her ovarian cancer surgery, but she will be back next Monday, guaranteed. All right, so it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get
1: busy living, folks. Because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org
3: righty, tonight's show, is Startup Health and the Digital Health Revolution. Startup Health is a new model for helping innovation succeed in the health sector based on a simple premise. The best way to improve healthcare in America is from an entrepreneurial private sector. Join us as we welcome Steve Grine, founder, and CEO, and Unity Stokes, founder and president of Startup Health for a vibrant conversation about this subject matter. Um, and the change going around in really healthcare in the United States and perhaps abroad. Survivor so Spotlight on Tim Spies from Cut to the Cancer.
0: And I am Maureen Sweet, Chief Everything Else Officer here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at ChemoDeck. So send me your questions and feedback anytime with the hashtag FC Radio. All
1: right. That's our self-ingratiating applause. Happy really? Cyber Monday to you,
3: happy Cyber Monday. Happy Cyber Monday! Happy
0: Cyber Monday. Very happy Cyber
3: Monday. Well, Unity, giving Tuesday Eve. Unity and Steve are actually in studio, so hello, gentlemen. It's great to be here, the founder of Startup Health. Hello. We'll be uh, talking with you at the second half of the show, but the entire context, uh, context of the show is all about the evolution of the narrative in digital health care, and this show itself is just that. So I'll let you validate me in about a half hour. Let's Looking to forward to it. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, Cyber Monday. Uh, how we doing, Kenny? Uh, we're doing well. It's kind of like the 2004 election. We don't quite know what the numbers are, and uh, Florida is going crazy. <laughs> it's always those old Jews.
0: I'm really bad at punching ballots. I'm sorry.
3: What? Hanging chads. Hanging chads. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My goodness. Not okay. But it's been a good day for the Stupid Cancer Store, and thank you to everyone who has come out and supported us. And Cyber Monday's not over. It's not over. It's
3: not over. We have a good three hours and fifty. Seven minutes or so. It's over oh, so when it's I seven turn Seven
0: hours up. if you're on the west coast. Yes. that is we true. It's
1: probably gonna go until I wake up in the morning. Okay, if so we're being honest, thirty <laughs> percent off
3: if you're listening live. Thirty percent off everything in the stupid cancer store through when Kenny wakes up in his uh, booze-induced post-coma.
2: Could be like noon or one. In 1:00 Babylon, m. Long Island. Exactly. Yes.
3: Um, stupidcancerstore.org. And uh, speaking of Cyber Monday, that means that it was Thanksgiving recently. It was. How was your Thanksgiving?
1: It was wonderful. We, uh, we commingled families uh, for the first time. What was, does that exactly mean? Success. What does that mean? I will let you figure that out. I don't want to figure that out. It I was, know you way too well. It was uh, families commingling. We're going to leave it at that. Okay. And,
3: uh, I won't go into the uh, details I understand of your family. Yes. But Okay. So there you go. Nice. And Maureen, you became Jewish.
0: I became slightly Jewish
3: um so i'm
0: from ohio as most people who listen know because i talk about ohio a lot that's what she says. Um,
1: she goes to her meetings hi i'm go from, from ohio. ohio hello i'm
0: from ohio go browns we're still losing um so i was adopted by my good friend they family on long island um and much of her family is jewish so we had a thanksgivica which we discussed last week yeah um so a lot of thanksgiving stuff but there were latkes there was a menorah there was also an Italian, so there was prosciutto, so it wasn't quite kosher, but whatever. Um, and so I've been I've been doing my Hanukkah thing.
3: I have my own menorah. I made so some you had your couple. first matzo ball for real. I, I homemade matzo ball.
0: I made it from a mix. Is that a terrible that's, thing? No,
3: that that's like a Jewish wife. Not.
0: Okay, Yeah. not a Jewish grandmother, no. Jewish yeah. newlywed. Exactly. That's, that's about the level I'm probably okay. at. So, <laughs> yeah, so I made I made my first matzo balls, and I put them in chicken broth, because I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And it was pretty good. So, yeah, happy Hanukkah to everyone. Um, happy also kickoff to the Christmas season. I am moving into my Christmas phase now. Um, so. Are you going to
1: start making, like, little wooden houses and... Christmas Christmas wreaths. I'm thinking really <laughs> <Reaves>? difficult <laughs> reaves, wreaths. Houses
0: and wreaths. <laughs> um, I don't know what small... <laughs> a very
1: overstimulated day. I don't yeah. know what
0: small wooden houses have to do with Christmas,
1: um, but I will make wreaths. A lot of crafts.
0: Oh, crafts. Craft I don't want to crafting? hear Kenny say
1: wreaths again. <laughs> <laughs> well, my girl... All right. So my girlfriend points out the fact that I say draw instead of drawer. Drawer. Right. Drawer. Or drawer. Or Drawer. All right, we're enunciating tonight, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway. Acting!
0: Matt, how was your Thanksgiving?
1: My Thanksgiving was fantastic.
0: Yeah? Yes, I had two. You had two? I had
3: one with my in-laws and one with my parents. Nice. Double yes. dipping.
0: Very good. And two there's turkey? nothing,
3: two turkeys, two um, kugels.
0: Kugels. Sweet kugels, which Kugles. you have
3: discovered the beauty of.
0: It's delicious.
3: Sweet Still noodle kugel. Like it's a
0: dessert to me, <laughs> I don't get it's it. It's
3: not a dessert.
0: I know. Not a dessert. <laughs>
3: It was really good. Lots of good food. Nice. And like, there's a brand of, ma- of, of a challah called Zomix. Do you guys know Zomix challah? It's on the upper. Yeah, Is that like I, made in Inwood? Should, but they franchise the local. Know yeah, you should. You like live out. on the upper west like side. Yeah, <laughs> <you should> definitely. Crying? <laughs> crying? What's crying? Yes, exactly. So, Zomix makes like the greatest like heroin induced challah bread in, in the universe. So, we ate that at both of the yeah. celebrations. And it made my day. But it was Great. good. So what are you thankful for besides me or not me, either way?
1: I received a really cool voicemail last week from somebody who called me 2 years ago on the day of her diagnosis and she was also fired from her job and had lost health care instantly. Um and she was so diagnosed with cancer, yes. lost her job the same, day the, very same day, the same day. Uh and she called up 2 years later to say thank you. So that's wow. pretty cool. That is amazing. Yes. And she's great. doing well. So. You don't always hear the, uh, the tail end of the story or the second half of the story. Or the ripple effect. Think of what yeah. that has meant. Amazing. And Maureen?
0: You know what I'm thankful for? I am thankful that Allie Ward is in town yes. this week. Um, is that who uh, that is?
3: Waving from the couch on the radio?
0: Our VP of programs is, yeah, pantomiming, doing a lot of good radio
3: dances. Or well, that Lisa's um, talking about.
0: OMG 2014. Black
3: Wednesday coming up.
0: Black Wednesday <laughs> registration is launching.
3: Registration for the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit, April 24-567 in Las Vegas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, 12 noon Eastern when we flip the switch. Hoping I get the invite. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we might bring Kenny this year. We're not sure. Yeah, we're, Kenny, you're, you're sure. an invite
3: optional. Yeah. But that's very exciting. We'll be uh, pressing the flesh of the internet uh, to hit all the buttons and tweets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That was the oldest thing I've ever said. Press the buttons the and the tweets. Are we going to keep our ear to the streets? Yes. <laughs> keep your nose to the grindstone. Yeah, good to know. We're old men. So many but you guys so get points. that, and I don't... Yeah. <laughs> they, they were in their early 20s. Let them have their day. Enjoy yourself. And
1: he's in his mid-20s. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say I'm in my late 20s. <laughs> <laughs> he's turning 27. That's a big deal. It's, uh
2: Exactly.
3: And uh, just to wrap up the morning uh, banter here on the show the
1: morning, <laughs> with my coming host on did. Planet Matthew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're
3: listening to the Midnight Shift. Is uh, We're going to Chicago. I'll be in Chicago on Wednesday for a couple of meetings with uh, Walgreens, with uh, giveforward.com, which is an amazing public crowdfunding website for individuals who are seeking, speaking of our friend who called two years later, that are broke from medical debt all different kinds of diseases, but the majority of them are cancer-related. So people can now crowdfund crowd uh, for themselves without being a charity, which is a great platform. And then we'll be meeting with the folks at Emerman Angels, our friends over uh, who do the one-on-one peer matching offline. Good stuff, good people. So should be a
1: good week, I suppose. Yeah, I'll have yeah. a lack of 80s music in my life. So <laughs> Don't make me start playing... All right. Now, we already right. had tears for in the intro. We've, we've got... do
0: oh. You
1: asked for it. Ah. You just asked for it. Well, I guess now you have to bring on our first guest. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. Stupid interludes. All right. Kim Spies is a cancer patient advocate and
3: executive director at Akito Resolutions Foundation. He's a fourth-degree black belt in Akito and the founder of Cut the Cancer, a program to help cancer patients and survivors utilize... The Philosophy of a Keto in Their Rehabilitation. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Tim Spies. Tim.
4: How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me.
3: Oh, it's great to have you. I'm, I'm sorry we had to rickroll you, but Kenny forced the 80s upon me.
4: <laughs> well, I'm from the 60s, so I, it's okay.
3: All right. Well, I, if I forced the Beatles, Kenny would have liked that, because he actually likes the Beatles. I do. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, we got connected. I'm really glad to have you on the show and your work is quite fascinating. Um it speaks to a larger narrative of the wellness through cancer rather than the acute, you know, cut and bleed and get kicked out of the hospital and hope you hopefully you feel better mentality of many, many years ago. Right. Um I would love to learn your backstory. Obviously I, I read from your bio here you've been studying uh karate for thirty or thirty five years or so and if not more, so I'm scared of you, first and foremost.
4: <laughs> it's it's uh, been a long time, yeah.
3: <clears throat> yes, yes. But uh, what what inspired you to get into karate in the 70s or and even in the 60s? That that was not a very well-known cultural American thing, correct?
4: Uh, it really wasn't. Um, of course, Bruce Lee movies had a lot to do with the popularity of the martial arts in the United States. And... Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I, I got into it through a, a high school program that we had. And it's just, you know, it's something that stuck with me all my life. And um, Aikido now has been the, the focus of what I've been doing for you know, the last several decades, it seems.
3: How does one decide amongst the, the menu of options in the martial arts to go with Aikido? Aikido.
4: It was different for me. it was completely different after being involved in karate for so many years, uh, which was a very hard style. Uh, I found Aikido to be uh, smooth uh fluid dynamic and it was it was something I saw a demonstration that that just I was absolutely floored with and it was uh it was love at first sight for me
3: so Define Aikido. How is it different philosophically from, say, Tai Chi or traditional karate?
4: Well, the word Aikido is made up of three Japanese kanji, Ai, Ki, and Do. Ai means harmony, Ki means energy, and Do means the way. So, in essence, it's the way of harmonizing energy. Uh, In our street talk, if you will, we like to think of it as an art that restores harmony. Uh, as opposed to fighting against the conflict,
3: and how has that helped you personally? Uh, given that you chose this specific martial art,
4: well, um, dealing with conflict is is always a, a difficult thing for all of us, no matter what that conflict is, whether it's a physical conflict an emotional conflict, or in, in our setting for cut to cancer, a medical conflict. To us, conflict is conflict, and in one way or another, we need to uh, resolve and diffuse that conflict as quickly as we can. Um, we chose Aikido as the philosophy basis for our, our, our cut to cancer program.
3: So let's let's get into that then too. You made a decision to apply your wisdom in this field to helping people affected by cancer. Tell us about the origins of that.
4: Well, that started over a bottle of wine. Doesn't <laughs> everything, as many things do in this world? I suppose I. I'm, pardon me.
3: All great ideas start over. Yeah
4: right. I, I met a woman years ago. Uh, five years ago. Um. And we started dating, and as we got to know each other, she told me that she was a breast cancer survivor. Uh, And at the time, it was a 15-year, she was a 15-year survivor, so, um, you know, she was in her 30s, early 30s when she was diagnosed. Um, The things that we talked about that I was immediately interested in was how she got through it mentally, It's clear what the doctors and support people do in our lives, but how do you get past the fear? How do you get past uh, self-confidence issues? How do you pick yourself up uh, when you've gone through it? And how do you move forward? And the things that she talked to me about were things that I've been studying and or teaching in Aikido for for a long time, and so we decided to put this program together uh, in order to, to help people uh, go through that and, and learn to deal with issues of fear, issues of self-confidence, and so forth.
3: Well, I read that, that the, uh, the philosophy is surrounded um, conflict resolution. Is there any limit to what that can be interpreted as with respect to how you apply the
2: art?
4: Well, no, there, there's not. Conflict is conflict. It's, it's neither good nor bad. It just, it just is. So how we choose to deal with that conflict is what gives it the, the negative or positive aspect of it, I suppose. Um, but to us, it doesn't matter what that conflict is. We still need to find a way to diffuse it. And, how about and,
1: conflict, How about conflict in the workplace?
4: <laughs> Shut up, you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Can you advise
1: me just kicking Matthew
4: in the face? It's, it's all up. the same. Conflict in the workplace, we deal with it all the time. Conflict in yeah. driving our cars, getting onto the expressway. Conflict in uh, in everything that we do. Um, but some conflict is good. I mean, if we didn't have conflict, we wouldn't have missed field goals by the Chicago Bears. So uh, we need conflict in our life, but it's, like I said earlier, it's how we deal with that that makes all the difference in the world.
3: So you were dating this woman who wound up being a breast cancer survivor. Was she open about that 15 years later? Was that something she was comfortable talking about?
4: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, She helped me put this program together. She's been with me throughout the entire uh, process of, of taking it around to the hospitals, taking it around to different organizations that would listen to us, that would see what we've done and uh, take part in it, uh, allow us to put on demonstrations, that kind of thing. So she's been with me every step of the way through this program.
3: So prior to having met you, had she ever been exposed to the, the quality of life offering that a martial art can provide to someone who had beaten cancer?
4: Has she or has I? As she? Yes, she was. Uh, she was an aerobic instructor before she was diagnosed. After she got through her treatment, she took that um, that program that she was teaching, and and she taught uh, patients as well for a long time, uh, probably four or five years after she was uh, termed a survivor. All right. So, so she knows actually, the, the the mental aspects of it all.
3: Right. So that leads to my. I have a question because of that. How would you, for the layperson out there, what's the difference between aerobics and martial arts in terms of mental well-being? Or is it all just tools to help you live an improved, uh, manageable lifestyle in the wake of It it is
4: certainly tools, without a doubt. Um, it's, It's not what you do. It's how you do it and how you approach it. Um, so it could be aerobics, it could be swimming, it could be martial arts, it could be washing dishes, uh, for that matter. How you approach that activity, the kind of commitment that you put into it, um, is, makes the, makes all the difference in, in, in how it's going to help you.
1: All right, Tim, so I have this friend, <laughs> emphasis on friend, uh, you know, a little out of shape, um, he also has friends who are, who are survivors who may want to get into this. What are the, the barriers to entry and some of the uh, hurdles that you have to overcome, and what are the easy ways to start out?
4: Well, see, that's the, that's the beauty of this program is anybody can do it. When you look at a martial art, there is there's a physical aspect of a martial art, and there's the philosophical aspect of it, so two, two aspects that we work with. The, uh, phys- the philosophical, spiritual aspect that we're utilizing is Aikido. But when somebody says, well, what's Aikido? And they go on the Internet and Google Aikido, they're going to see people being thrown around like Steven Seagal does in the movies. And they're going to say that this is not for me. Um, our physical aspect that we utilize in this art is teaching people how to cut with a, with a sword, with a wooden sword that we call a boken. So all of the physical exercise that we do is centered around learning how to cut with the sword. And it, it certainly serves as a, as a metaphor for us because we want to cut through the fears that we deal with. We want to cut through our self-confidence issues. We want to cut through uh, the, the, the problems that we feel are coming on in our, in our process. Um, but on that physical level, we make it so that it's people that that can't swing as hard the sword as hard as others can do it at their own pace. You don't have to be physically gifted to be this to be able to do this art. You can be just as you are. So the students that we have had and have in the program range in age from. Uh, early 20s to we have some that are doing it that are in their 60s and 70s. So it's, to me, I I don't care more how physically you get out of it. What I care most about is how spiritually and emotionally and mentally what you get from this program.
3: And I would also imagine that you encounter a very large diversity of uh, incapacitance, like a lot of people who are very damaged from their, their uh, treatments and their surgeries, who enter into this uh, experience very compromised. How do you address that and do you integrate a lot of what you offer with existing hospital uh, providers like, um, like or, uh, I can't even think, uh, occupational therapists or physical therapists? Is there a role yeah. with just in that portfolio?
4: Well, I'll give you an example. I I was teaching a class up at uh, Gilda's Club in Grand Rapids, and nobody showed up for the class. And I was up there playing by myself, and all of a sudden, this lady walked in, and and she could hardly walk into the the room, let alone move up and down the floor swinging a sword. And so when she walked in, we we I sat down with her and and talked to her for about 30 minutes or so, and she. Had told me her story and, and where she was at. And she had told me that she had, according to the doctors, three months left. And um, she wanted to get to this class. And, and, in fact, the class that she came to was on that three-month anniversary. And she was having a really difficult time standing. And, and I said, well, we're going to do it sitting in a chair. So we sat down in a chair, and we just, I just showed her how to cut with the sword in a chair, and how to extend her mind, how to relax her body, how to extend key energy. And by the time the hour class was done, she was moving up and down the floor like you or I would. It it just completely blew me away. And that's the first time that this program is only a couple years old, so it's the first time that I encountered somebody that was having as difficult a time as she was but by the time that hour was done, she took to it like like any of us would. It, just, it was an amazing sight for me and truly an inspiration.
3: That's an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that you don't just serve cancer patients. You also serve their caregivers. And yes. I find that really inspiring because a lot of times people forget that caregivers really matter. And that, that's something I, I give you... you know, huge props for integrating into what you do. So how do the caregivers feel knowing that they're being recognized and what role do they play in the healing of the person they're
2: giving care to?
4: Well, not all of them come, unfortunately, um, but I would like them to because it's, you know, when somebody is learning to deal with fear and, and to learning to not be so controlled by it but learning to have more control on their own with it, um we don't pick that up immediately we we fall back on our old tapes if you will and uh and having somebody to support you and say to you this is what you were taught this is what you need to practice you need to practice your breathing you need to practice your relaxation techniques you need to try to not let that fear grab a hold of you uh you need support people there as well to help them. Uh, and so to us, it's just as important that the caregivers come to the program. We only have one that's here right now that, that has, on a regular basis, been showing up. Um, and it's great to see those two, the husband and wife, just going at it.
3: <laughs> no, again, it, it's really inspiring. And I, I just go back to how I opened this segment with the fact that this is This is something that probably wouldn't have been able to be understood very well, even a few years ago, the idea of quality of life through and beyond cancer as a complement to all the clinical doctor stuff you have to go through. So you've been doing this now for, what, three years, four years?
4: Yeah, we started the program about four years ago. We've been teaching it. I have regular students here in the Chicago area that have been with me for two years now. Um, and we've been we've been teaching at uh, several of the gildas clubs throughout the country uh, for the last year, so it's it's starting to get some legs. People are starting to see uh, what it can do. And like you said earlier, it's it's a tool, just like yoga and just like swimming, just like tai chi. These are all tools that people can use uh, to help improve their quality of life. And and this is just another way. I think it's the coolest way of doing it so uh, we certainly encourage everybody and anybody to get out and either do our program or find another program that that fits your lifestyle and and work with that
3: okay Tim. final question here so you've sure. obviously been many many people have come through this program what would you say the, the top lessons that they come out with are what 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 are they what are the teachables that they gain from this to help them get busy living uh, even more impactfully?
4: Uh, How to relax, without a doubt. Um, We have a hard time. We all have a hard time learning to relax. And, you know, one of the things that Liz, my girlfriend, told me was when she would wake up in the middle of the night and everybody was sleeping and she had a sniffle or a cough or whatever it was, and and it immediately came back to her that is this reoccurring on me now, and all of that fear started to well up inside her. She had to find a way to learn to relax from that, and and that's something that we that we really work with the students is uh, find your spot, find some time where you can. Practice the breathing techniques that we show you, the relaxation techniques that we show you. Do them on a regular basis, no matter what it takes. Take a few minutes, tell the family, I need my five minutes or I need my ten minutes, whatever it happens to be, and just go and relax and, and meditate. Um, when the body is relaxed and the mind is relaxed, it functions far better and, and far closer to the way that it's intended to than when we're tight, than when we're tense, and when we're worried. So the, the biggest thing that anybody can take out of any kind of a program is learn to relax and learn to recapture that centered feeling that we try to teach.
3: Okay. Tim Spies is the founder of Cut the Cancer, a 430 black belt and a keto program. To help cancer patients and survivors utilize the philosophy of the keto in the rehabilitation, uh, Tim, what is the URL we can send people to to learn more?
4: www.cutthecancer.org.
3: There you go, Tim Spies. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
3: Okay, take, take care. care. All right. And now the news.
1: Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer.
3: Just the facts, now.
1: Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have some events coming up in Durham, North Carolina, a lovely fundraiser on Wednesday night. Uh, Novi, Michigan. This <laughs> is going to continue to mess me up. Tuquila, Washington. North, yes. Northbrook, Illinois. Billings, Montana. St. Paul, Minnesota. And here in New York City and LA. Don't forget, yes, LA. Our music concert. It's coming up on 12:20. LA Cancer Palooza. Fantastic. All right, registration for the seventh annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults launches this Wednesday, December
3: 4th at noon Eastern. Get yourself to Vegas this April for the largest young adult cancer conference in the world. Three and a half days of workshops, funneries, social events, and networking, networking, networking. Visit omg2014.org to learn more, and don't forget about the OMG Players Club, your path to a $600 travel
1: scholarship just by fundraising for Stupid Cancer. Did you say networking, Matt? Networking. Oh, the weather outside is frightful unless you live in San Diego. It's time to stock up on your holiday gear because you know who looks good in a Stupid Cancer hoodie? Everyone. Surf on over to stupidcancershow.org for a great deal. I'm Friday with Round around. Be proud. where are Stupid Cancer. We have 30% off today for Cyber Monday. Check it out. All
3: right, and finally, the Stupid Cancer Show that you're listening to right now is all new broadcasting in stunning HD. We know you can't listen to each show live, so be sure to subscribe for free anytime on iHeartRadio Talk, Apple iTunes Podcast, or right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Visit stupidcancershow.org anytime to get connected, and thank you for listening. And that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer News. We're hams. Sorry. You're good. You're good. All right. Live in studio tonight, Unity Stokes is the co-founder and president of Startup Health and the Academy to aspire, inspire, educate, and provide resources for entrepreneurs to build sustainable health and wellness companies, and Steve Krein is his Partner in crime, also co-founder and CEO of Startup Health, gentlemen in studio live. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer
2: Show. Thanks, Matthew. It's great to be here. Thanks, Matthew. It's very exciting. It's been a long time coming. I think we met like six or seven years ago. Our
3: first date was definitely during George W. Bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. I. I you were running or just starting a company called Organized Wisdom, I, I recall. Yeah, uh, we, we had just started Organized Wisdom. It was, uh, I think it was 2007. Uh, around then, yeah. Yeah, right, right around then. And uh, got to meet you out in California. So, all right, so let's, let's start at the, like Kenny, let's trace the core back to the wall. Talk about y- your skills. You, you guys have a robust history of, of professional, uh, you know, k- careers behind you, a great skill set. How did each of you get to be where you are today? And what what drove you in the direction of riding the sort of the web 2.0 craze? Sure. Well, it 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 started in web 1.0. Uh so you and I have been entrepreneurs for uh almost 20 years. Uh got our start here in New York City in the um early to early to mid 90s uh building a company called Webstakes which we um we built uh, I was a CEO you knew as chief marketing officer and we built Webstakes off took it public uh it was acquired by ivillage in the early 2000s. Oh, ivillage Matt, Matt's I, getting
1: hungry uh
3: <laughs> and so you know we we got the entrepreneurial bug uh literally in the 90s during the first uh web 1.0 boom and Got to you know see you know firsthand the the full experience of being an entrepreneur uh, from you know an idea to a to a startup and ramp up and speed up and actually really accelerate uh, growth in a in a pretty short period of time, and so we we've been entrepreneurs for a long time, worked together for a long time, and then about six years ago, uh, right around when we met, um, uh, we started to organize wisdom as a result of uh, ironically enough one of our uh, investors in Webstake's. Uh, and board members of WebStates was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, uh, you know, like many uh, entrepreneurs and startups, um, the the genesis of of their uh, company starts with a a story, a personal story, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother themselves that experiences something. And so uh, like many others, uh, we we had this uh, investor who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and his family had um, asked us for a little bit of, helping guiding uh, them through the resources online, uh, trying to find um, really great resources for clinical trials and other things. And so as a result of a, of a simple question, uh, we called up my brother, who's a head and neck cancer surgeon in Philadelphia, and asked him what he tells his patients. And uh, ironically enough, in 2007, most doctors told their patients to stay off the Internet. Right. And uh, and hence, uh, Organized Wisdom was born uh, out of this simple idea that we can bridge the gap between doctors, uh, doctor visit and uh, the Internet and really help bring together the right resources from a doctor's point of view so that patients can safely find the best resources online. So the fundamental philosophy behind Organized Wisdom was to curate wisdom from the
2: healthcare professional sector and organize it.
3: <laughs> right. The, the,
2: the first thing we noticed is, Everything was broken. Like, yes. we, we, we just couldn't believe. That. Funny and nothing's changed. Well, it's, it's, it's true. It's, and it's just starting. But, you know, all these other industries were being revolutionized by technology and the Internet. And when we took the lens of looking at what was going on in healthcare, it just seemed like it was the dark ages. Yes. And we, we just, as entrepreneurs, instantly realized we've got to do something about this. And that's, you know, so we went in and, and started with, with organized wisdom. And, and as you just re- referred, uh, a, a lot still needs to be done. And uh, so many years later, everything still is broken. Well, going back to the Web 1, and I
3: was working in the advertising world during Web 1 in like 97, 6, 7, 8, 9, And you're like Socks.com and, you know, you know, Matchbooks.com or whatever it was, .com. But the idea of Web1 was we know better than you. We're going to throw everything on a website. You're going to have to search for it. This is before Google when we still had like HotBot, remember, Alta Hot Vista, Alta Vista, Lighthouse, yeah. AltaVista, and like WebMD was born. And it was just all pull, not push. Uh, but your idea to actually speak to human beings and hear what they have to say and build credibility around the aggregation of those talking points that was very new, wasn't it? Yeah, in, in 2007 it was, but you know if you t- if you take back you take a look back to Web 1.0 in, in the mid 90s, um, it was really just the foundation of um, what mm-hmm. really I think you see happening across every industry, which is the creative destruction or implosion of an industry right. or industries. So we watched everything from travel to news to finance to um, entertainment be disrupted by. Technology and the internet, and I think what we saw happen in the '90s is just now circling back and happening in healthcare. And so, yeah, and you know, five, six, seven years ago, uh, what you had were people looking out, you know, or looking back and saying, "Well, we know, we know, we tested a lot of things in the '90s. We even tested things into the early part of the 2000s or mid 2000s." But over the last four or five or six years, what you've seen is um, people begin to experiment in other ways. We might be able to reimagine healthcare. And so um, when, when you can watch an industry go from, you know, the emergence of a brand-new industry and, and status, and, you know, and, and reach a certain size growth and then finally go into a depleted mode, what you see are typically are entrepreneurs just reimagining the way an industry could be or could operate. Right. And so um, what we were doing, you know, in 2007, 2008, and 2009, and there was lots of other companies started around the same time, like ZocDoc, we're just reimagining the way patients and doctors and healthcare Executives and people can just think about a completely new experience, and I think at the end of the day, what you've seen happen, you know, up until today, and I say up until today, is I think just been laying the groundwork for uh, what really is going to look like an epic decade of transformation in an industry which, for decades, has been not only resistant to change but difficult to do anything about transforming. Right, and and we talk about like you're entering your post or pre or mid pubescence at this point where the last six years are really kind of finding your way into seeing what worked and what didn't work. And I mean, from my perspective as the patient advocate and the nonprofit guy, it felt like that you just were throwing spaghetti at a wall and whatever happened to stick, not you guys per se, but the industry itself was throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what might work. And now the flour has been shifted, and we know it works, and people are now taking the well, shifted flour to make new solutions. Yeah, you still don't know what works, but what you do know is that you can experiment and test and play with things for a lot less money than you could you know, a decade ago or right. 15 years ago, even five years ago. I mean, it, right. it takes a fraction of the amount of money to build a startup or to right. even start, start a startup. It right. takes a fraction of the amount of time to get an idea and see if there's any, anything there, and so your so-called spaghetti um, is cheaper to throw, and it's actually it's faster now. Yeah, and it's faster <laughs> to see if it sticks. So what you have is the ability to just take ideas and see if they work. Right. And I think that's the big shift that we're seeing happening right now, which is you can now take, you know, have an idea or an experience or a perception about what's wrong with your experience or your parents' or your sister or your friend's experience that they're, that they're having, and just imagine what if. And just this idea that the average person, the average doctor, the average healthcare executive or person in a big company can just imagine a different experience and try out and see if it works. And so I think that's what we're now looking at. It's really – we frame it as the golden age of entrepreneurship where you can do that where 5, 10, 15 years ago it cost tens of millions of dollars. It
2: took years to do. So the beautiful thing is there's, there's actually four macro things going on right now all at the same time that six years ago was, was not the case. So you, you have health reform, which is, is disrupting the business models, and that's, that's creating a lot of new thinking, a lot of new ideas. Uh, you have the rising costs and the aging population, which is creating demand for new solutions. Um, you have this golden age of entrepreneurship that Steve was just talking about. And you mix that all together with this digital revolution that's going on. Uh, things like the iPad mini is only a year old. Right. Doctors are carrying them now. Uh, patients are, are using them. Um, there's data. There's sensors. There's, there's just a whole new opportunity to, to literally rethink and reimagine every aspect of our health, our wellness, and health care. And, and to us, it's going to be the the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the patients that are going to relook and rethink at this problem from the ground up and, and, and really create the solutions for the future. All right, so that opens up two separate conversations. The first one is the barriers
3: to get the providers to actually adopt these platforms and use them uh, efficiently and effectively given the, the crappy deal they've got being doctors in this country to begin with. <laughs> but then there's the other conversation of this incubation model where now that it's faster, smaller, cheaper, better to, to develop ideas, this new business model of incubators has been born. And there's, there's a new cottage industry. We think of incubators as, you know, babies being born and they need to be, you know, uh, handled delicately before they're ready for the real world. That's the same exact philosophy. So I don't know which one you want to tackle first. The doctor mess is much, much of a bigger mess than the understanding of the incubator model. Well, well, I have many friends who are, doc- I mean, I'm 40, most of my friends who had gone to med school are in practice now, and I hear their horror stories. How are they supposed to ever use ZocDoc? Like, which, by the way, for our listeners, just tell them what ZocDoc is. Uh, ZocDoc allows um, anyone to schedule a doctor's appointment um, without having to actually make a phone call. You just go on the web and schedule a doctor's appointment, and for a doctor, she allows you to... Um, book up open spots and make sure that you're fully booked. Um, like hotels.com. Open exactly. table. Open table. table. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, you, t- you call them two separate conversations. I actually think they're kind of intertwined. So, um, you know, back in the 90s when you wanted to, as an entrepreneur, you know, connect with uh, advice or actually tap into a community of other entrepreneurs, it was incredibly difficult um, I remember a book that came out in the mid nineties called startup and, uh, every entrepreneur was clamoring for like that in order to kind of connect in with advice and, and know-how and get a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like to build a startup. And here, here we are, you know, uh, 10, 15 years later and, you know, there's the, the, the complete separation of advice and money and you've got, um, accelerators and incubators developing, uh, where, you know, in three months you can go into a program and get to, uh, Uh, experience rapid fire development and, uh, and, uh, get to a place where you can package your company for a demo day and raise some angel financing to kind of get started. And, and, you know, we've watched that over the last five, six, seven years do a tremendous job all around the world, um, popularized by Y Combinator and Techstars. Um, you're seeing them verticalized into different sectors. Those are great, terrific, you know, really great sprints to, uh, get an idea off the ground. But in, in healthcare, those, those are, those are um, just the beginning, because obviously it's incredibly long, and you, know, you asked for some magic words here. It's like, you need a lot of patience, right? It takes a long time to build a startup in any sector. In healthcare, everything takes longer. It's more complicated. Um, you need obscure partnerships between small companies and large companies. You've got just so many obstacles against you. So we look at, uh, looked at, you know, what in entrepreneurs facing in this sector and said, the accelerators are great. They get companies started, but really what you need is a long-term view of how to help an entrepreneur and a startup succeed over the long haul. And so when we launched two and a half years ago, the the, the simple idea was, let's put a nice big goal out there um, that would allow us to bring together entrepreneurs from all around the world to work together in a unique way across uh, enough time to allow them to figure out what works and what doesn't and share it. And so we said, let's help 1,000 entrepreneurs and startups over the next decade create startups in this sector and work together to figure out what's working, what's not working, who's being helpful and who's not, and truly try to accelerate innovation. And we, we, our simple idea is network everybody together, network the entrepreneurs together, network the investors together network the customers and the partners together, so whether it's a pharmaceutical company or a hospital or the government, both federal or state, or it's entrepreneurship startups, so Just network everyone together and bring together a unique community that can look out and say, you know, together we can accelerate learning and accelerate the chance that we we can all tackle the transformation of an industry and an experience and a world that is not good enough right now in terms of whether you're the patient, a caregiver, a doctor, you're, you're, you work at a large company or a startup. In this sector, it's just not good enough. We're not happy with it. Most people aren't happy with the experience, and we can do something about it now.
2: One of the cool things we're seeing is you, you were talking about doctors. We're seeing what we call doctorpreneurs. We're seeing a lot of um, medical professionals, health professionals, doctors actually be, see the problems that, that they're experiencing day-to-day and then decide to do something about it. So they're becoming entrepreneurs themselves. We're seeing the same thing with patients. And some of the best ideas, some of the best companies being built now are coming from patients, uh, from doctors, from, from people who traditionally aren't experienced, so-called experienced entrepreneurs. Right. All right. So you started Startup Health. How
3: many different companies have you been curating in that time? What's your head count? So, um, over the last two and a half years, we've received 1,250 applications. We currently have close to 50 companies in the program. It's a three-year program. Um, our goal is to get to 100 by this time next year, and uh, as I mentioned, 1,000 long term. But the idea is, you know, what's interesting is that the companies are located all around the world. So um, we have companies in five different countries um, spread around all, all across the U.S., across a whole wide spectrum of innovation. And so um, what's what's most interesting, I think, about the, I think it's 46 or 47 companies uh, in the program is the the speed at which they're able to just learn from each other and share experiences with each other. So this network effect that's starting to take place. um, So, you know, two and a half years into, into the program, we're at a point right now where we can at least start to see some of the network effect beginning to work. I think that... As you just mentioned, whether it's uh, Dr. David Wong, a dermatologist out in California who started direct dermatology because he just felt that patients were waiting too long to get uh, uh, diagnosed with uh, melanoma unnecessarily waiting way too long because you don't need to wait or shouldn't have to wait six or seven weeks. You could wait, you know, a couple of hours and just get a board-certified dermatologist to look at a picture on an iPhone and tell you if you need a uh, biopsy or not. Um, or, as you mentioned, some of the patients that are having You're seeing this, this type of – the type of entrepreneur entering healthcare, care, um, trying to reinvent it, just completely different than I think anybody has ever seen before. And so it's not just the sheer number of companies. It's that who are the entrepreneurs starting these companies. Okay, so I have a question about IP then, intellectual property. I go back to the metaphor that stands Up to Cancer disrupted the entire cancer research world It used to be, or actually kind of still is, that the scientists have to go where the money is, and the money is controlled by interests. So scientists never really get to truly collaborate on something and share their own wisdom. What Stand Up the Cancer did was they created incubated – like they predetermined silos of need and then put the money there and brought the scientists together around the money rather than have the scientists chase the money the other way. And it has revolutionized the philosophy – of consensus building in science. How do you guys navigate those waters with intellectual property and brands and stakeholderships and reputation? Must be tricky.
2: In in terms of companies working together and collaborating? If you have 50 disparate companies working together, how do you maintain integrity, reputation, IP? Yeah, well, one of the cool things is there's, there's really a common bond around the concept of building a business as opposed to necessarily the specific idea. So there's usually some common themes. Um, you know, Tim was talking earlier about um, the, the what and the, the how of doing something. You, you, you tend to see with these entrepreneurs um, a strong passion and, and understanding for why they're building these companies. So there's a real camaraderie um, around the passion of solving a particular problem. Um, and as Steve mentioned before, it's it's really across a broad spectrum of innovation. So generally, um, you might have companies in completely different industries with completely different business models, completely different ideas, but they're all talking uh, to the same types of investors or the same types of customers, and they're able to share that Wisdom with each other and use that knowledge to help accelerate each other. Help um, share ideas about what is working as well as what's not working. And when you connect um, the entrepreneurs together in that fashion, it's amazing what can happen and and how you can really really speed up the cycles of innovation.
3: I I, I want to extrapolate, uh, um, keep keep going on this wide this wide component that you just mentioned. I think the the if this wasn't a group of entrepreneurs working on non healthcare care companies, uh, non-health and wellness companies, I should say, um, I think what you're talking about might be a little bit more troublesome around uh, people with ideas. Um, this idea of why, you, what you're seeing across every one of the entrepreneurs in the program, every one of the entrepreneurs that, that we're considering uh, for the program, there is this notion that we cannot do this alone, Period. And the solo entrepreneur in healthcare is going to have a completely different time than a solo entrepreneur uh, or co-founders working together in a different industry. Um, it's just too complex of an industry with too much of a difficulty landing pilot programs, customers, investors um, the The sheer power of the network effect in this sector is so obvious to the entrepreneurs like who are coming into the program and, and experience the program that very rarely is that the conversation. Usually it's about how we can figure this out. How can we figure out which people at that organization are the right ones to talk to that's startup friendly. And so you just have this very different vibe happening in this community because everyone's thinking about the, the, the mother or the father, or the sister or the brother or themselves with their experience and trying to change that and not just make an idea work for money's sake. All right. So I, so let's, turn the conversation over to case studies. We have listeners out there. They want to know what is the buzz. What are the real things people are trying to change to make my life easier
2: in the healthcare care system? So we've got a great company called Gene by Gene, um, which is a, a dia- genetics diagnostic company. Um, what used to cost tens of thousands of dollars now for less than... You can do all sorts of genetic testing um, to tell if you have certain uh, dispositions to certain diseases. Um, Is that similar to 23andMe? um, Similar in some ways. They have their own labs, so um, they they are are different. Um, 23andMe. um, They're parents
3: of heat now. uh,
2: Yeah, the FDA recently sent 23andMe a letter um, based on the way that they're not well, their
3: product is not meant. They need to be like that yeah. crazy herb on the shelf that says,
2: this product is not meant to diagnose, treat, or help you. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a whole new world around um, consumer genetics right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think this is a big opportunity for, for patients, um, for individuals, um, to test and learn about anything from their ancestry also to um, types of diseases they may have and, and really understand um you know what what their options may be um there was also earlier in the year you know the supreme court um ruled that you cannot patent uh, a gene a, a, a gene right um so you you know there there were certain i think for the brca one brca two um it a big victory for them it, it it really was so there's really a whole new world that's opening up because of the prices coming down um new technologies like this uh, new diagnostics like this being um, opened up to to the consumer marketplace.
3: I remember the human genome project took ten years and two billion dollars to okay. do one guy, and now it's like two days and ten grand. Is that about right to sequence a human being?
4: Uh, yeah,
3: I think it's actually coming down less than that. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about like the the you know sequence yourself kit at Walgreens in two years. Uh, you're seeing everything, you know, change at a pace that no, we've never seen before. I, you know, you go back to these. Uh, you, you asked about trends for your listeners and things like that. I think, I think, if, if you look at and call this the epic decade, right, from today till 2000, you know, uh, 22, 23, uh, an epic decade of transformation. I think the next three to five years, um, what we what we're trying to encourage people to do is um, get inspired to think of something that you're experiencing yourself or have perceived in the market and talk to other people about it and see if there's a problem that needs to be solved. And those entrepreneurial itches that people have had and sometimes people have them for their whole life and they don't do anything about it, um, we're, we're trying to provide entrepreneurs with a welcoming community of, uh, of other entrepreneurs, like-minded people, um, along with partners. Um, we have big partners like Uh, GE and Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and California Healthcare Foundation and uh, uh, literally a network of 10,000 stakeholders who are all committed to trying to help support this ecosystem. And I think what you're going to find and what I hope people find listening is if you've had an idea you have an idea and you're thinking that there might be something there or you already have an idea that you've been talking about with other people and already might have a prototype built, Um, go to the next phase with it. Take it, you know, we don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. What we do know is we have to work together and figure this out. And so um, our program in particular is designed to really be a place where startups can come at any stage, Uh, entrepreneurs can come at any stage of the development of their company. Um, They can come from wherever they are and become part of a program that helps them navigate every stage of the development of their company. What we hope happens is that a whole new generation of entrepreneurs come out of um, the woodwork. And and not just because we need more entrepreneurs uh, starting companies, but we need more people solving the healthcare problems in this world, not just this country. And so I think there's education needed, there's inspiration needed, there's resources needed. But what we really want to make sure we underscore is just we're living in a very different moment in time where it's actually possible to participate right. in
1: this movement. How's it, how's it going so far? What are the, uh, the adoption rates and any Are people signing up? Like, yeah. can, you, can you point to one
3: success story that has 100 million members? Well, I, I think it's about it – There's no Facebook yeah, for healthcare. Yeah, I know. You know, that, that's the, but, but there will it's, be. It's early. Yeah, but there will very be. very early right now. Uh, so it depends how you measure success. I mean, there's been in, – in, in, in less than uh, two and a half years, there's been uh, two companies acquired very early on, uh, Gene by Gene, which is the company you just mentioned. It actually was the company that acquired one of our companies, Arpeggi. Um, that was started by the co- uh, uh, co-founders who had previously sold their company to Zynga. So new entrepreneurs in this sector, um, not even out of the gate, uh, I think maybe eight months, uh, got co- uh, acquired by Arpeggi. And then just a, a couple weeks ago, we announced WebMV acquired one of the startups in the program, um, Avado, which is a patient relationship management platform. But I'm not going to call that success. I think the idea is, you know, what we're seeing is companies navigate the startup lifecycle and uh, the companies are all alive. They're building at different paces. What we're trying to do is make sure that there's plenty of room and plenty of runway for them to navigate uh, to success. Um, But we think it's going to take a while, but it's going to take an army of
2: entrepreneurs working together to do it. It it really reminds us of somewhere, I don't know, between 1994 and 1996 Internet of, of where we are right now in the digital revolution of of healthcare. Uh, we're we're still back at the, the era where we're inventing new banner ad sizes. Right. Um we're we're back in the Alta Vista days. Seven sixty eight by ninety. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> I'm such a loser. Um but you know it's it's interesting. You you asked the question about gr you know the traction. You know, a lot of the companies of traction again at different phases they're doing well, but I think it's this idea that we don't want to be prejudging anyone too early. What we want to be doing is figuring out how to support them and figure out how to get them to distribution with GE or how to get them access to experts, uh, you know, uh, or people who can actually help them, uh, build their business. All right. So I'll just do a little self-serving question then. What role does the nonprofit community play in the digital health revolution? Because
2: I don't see them there. Well, we actually, we just announced uh, a partnership today with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Um, to focus on innovation specifically in underserved communities. So with a lack of innovation. <laughs> well, we, we want to make sure there's there's a focus on innovation in underserved communities and, and really educate entrepreneurs on how to design business models that work in, in these markets. Um, you know, a, a lot of the great on, um, ecosystems Get off the ground by foundations and, and grants and, and money that comes in. Oftentimes, it's the nonprofit world that, that gets the movement started. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that right now. We're seeing a lot of the early stage support coming from foundations, coming from nonprofits. We're seeing a lot of the great ideas come from nonprofits, um, both in the U.S. as well as uh, globally. So, you, you know, I, I, I think – one of the the things that's absolutely essential in healthcare is really the marriage of entrepreneurs with all the different stakeholders and i think nonprofits are are one of those key stakeholders.
3: Yeah, i i agree i mean just again it's an army. We need every we need all hands on deck. Um nonprofits, academics, uh pharmaceutical companies, uh hospitals, the government, entrepreneurs, startups, just figuring out who's in and interested in helping. So Um, When I think about the incredible job uh, that you've done over the last um, even five or six years, I've watched um, Stupid Cancer grow so quickly to um, reach so many people and be able to touch so many lives. And so whether it's spreading the word, whether it's participating and helping um, startups and entrepreneurs get exposed to your community, um, even to inspire people in your community to start companies or to even get involved with companies that are meaningful to them and doing doing work on things that they are passionate about. I think one of the things that working in this sector affords everybody is to feel good every day when you get up and you know you're working on doing something that is going to transform the world or even help save a life or impact a life or make a life a little bit better. And so I think the idea that you can bring this part of the community into 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 focus for uh, entrepreneurs, and also bring entrepreneurship into focus for your community would be just tremendous, tremendous work towards, I think, a much, much bigger uh, a community that we all need to be a part of. So we talked about this idea of, of the human genome sequencing kit that you buy at RiteAid. We talked about the um, doodle for making your doctor visit, you know, uh, or what did you go open table for doctor visits? What are some of the other like concrete things the average person can relate to that will make their lives a little easier in getting their doctor to spend those seven minutes they have with them
2: more meaningfully? So, you know, a lot of the best inventions are being designed right into your life, whether it's in your refrigerator, in your car seat, um, we we have a, a, another company called Sorora, which is got this great diagnostic device that measures concussions in real time. Oh, wow. So you can imagine um, if you're on your, your little league football team, the, the power of a very cheap diagnostic device that goes right in your football helmet that can tell the coach if, if the, the kid is, uh, has a concussion um, and the power of, of a, a simple tool like that. Um, there's a, a, a company we have called Basis, which has a – a galvanic skin response; it measures stress levels. Um, and I will then, never wear that right? device. <laughs> <laughs> it would reach uh, new heights. It would explode. Be, ding, 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 ding. My wrist would fall off like a like right. an ankle bracelet. Um, there's uh, Intelligent M that um, is telling doctors if they've washed their hands properly. Wow. Uh, when they go in to see a patient, when they leave a patient, um, it, it vibrates if they haven't washed their hands properly. Aseptic cup. Is that what it's
3: called? No, <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting is what you learn very quickly is it's it's, it's it sounds uh little things like that in you know, a lower infection rates yeah. and uh readmissions into hospitals. So helping lower the cost, improve uh infection rates. You know, what, what each of these companies that you just mentioned have in common is a person had an idea. Right. That they just said it, it this this doesn't need to be this way or how about what if you know it was different. Um, there's a great story um, that um, uh, I recall from uh, one of our entrepreneurs, E. Phillips, who started Empower Interactive and just was watching all of the uh, people from Iraq and Afghanistan come back with post-traumatic stress syndrome and how many of them were being put onto uh, medication and drugs and figured there had to be a better way. Right. And so she contacted and connected in with a doctor who had developed a world-class DVD-ROM uh, program, an e-learning or online learning program. Uh, that helped out with post-traumatic stress syndrome and other mental health issues, converted onto a into an online experience, and uh, about a year ago, contracted with the Army for ten thousand lives to help people with not use drugs to deal with post-traumatic stress syndrome and other uh, depression and mental health issues, and so. Each one of these companies, everyone talks about a company, but you go back and you find a person, a woman or a man, and whatever they had experienced led them to this idea that right. there has to be a better way. That's the, the one thread in every one of the companies. There's a personal story every single time. in, in The companies in our program that you're meeting in, the, in in the healthcare industry, you're like, why did you start this company? And inherently, you hear just an incredible story that, the difference between what they experienced and someone else was just they wanted to do something to make it different next time. All right, so final thoughts. I'm going to just wrap the show with a, a commentary on, from the consumer side. But This is all very industry dialogue. This is all very mechanics on the side of Joe and his house in Oklahoma doesn't know about this stuff. He's just going to benefit from it one day. From the patient advocate side, I, will, I want to bring up this mobile app idea that we have called Instapeer which has gotten a lot of traction since we launched it. I don't want to do this in a silo, but the feedback that I've gotten and the collective understanding I've gained in seven years of observing the the startup industry is that patients don't like platforms where they know their behavior is being sold to a company to help build a better something to make someone money. Mm -hmm. And whether that's true or not, the public perception is that that product, whether it's patients like me or whether it is um, servo, or whether someone is de-identifying your behavior, your mood, whatever you're doing to make a profit and hopefully build something a little better. So there's an ethics question, but there's also a reality question. We cannot make Instapir a for-profit incubating company. It will not work because if you see – you know, a, a giant drug company label or General Electric popping up when it's like GE and no one will adopt that platform. So there's a whole new exciting conundrum that exists now that the, the nonprofit sector is becoming entrepreneurial, but their barrier is that they can't be commercial. Mm-hmm. Because none of their embedded troops that love them to death will use a product that they're profiteering off of. So just – you don't have to answer the question, but I wanted to raise this because, again, I say exciting because it's a good problem to have, that you have a great idea that can be incredibly successful, and you want to surround yourself with people who can help manifest it the right way with their collective intellect. But the major barrier is that if it comes from the nonprofit sector, it can't yet cross into the commercial sector and be successful. so a um, couple things first of all, we recently decided to uh, begin accepting a, a limited number of nonprofits into our program so let's start start with that um, because of the very thing you just mentioned this is an industry and and a, and a sector and I hate to call it an industry and a sector To no and that's to, right to, but but you know you talk about the business side how do these things survive and, and grow and build and I think so um, Come into the community, right? So you can you can you can look at this as an opportunity to to um, possibly come into a, a startup health community. But what's most important is what Unity you, you mentioned before: the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, California Healthcare Foundation, um, lots of nonprofits and foundations all across the country supporting programs like that. Um, I think the idea of trying to figure it out in a larger community and how to manifest it into something successful. Um, even if it's at a different scale or a different level, um, it's important to do. And so whether you're going to take the nonprofit version or the for-profit version, I think what we want to be is a community of innovators and a community of people who are willing to be a part of something bigger than them. And it's not always profit-driven, and it doesn't need to be profit-driven every time. What we want to see are things that work, things that change lives, things that make a difference. And I think what you'll see is the exchange and the dialogue that we're now having with The large foundations, as Unity mentioned, um, organizations that can commit dollars to programs like yours that you're describing that have a big impact are important to make happen, and we are committed to making it happen. So we actually want to make sure that if you are interested and serious about bringing this to life, that we, you know, look at bringing you into possibly having StartUp Health be a welcome community for you to do that. in. Are you hitting on me? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's working. Well like I said, this is an incredibly engaging conversation. We could go on for hours about this. There's no limit to discussing the granularities of, of all this stuff. and again, I go back to the fact that my friends who are doctors that are either you know in residence at NYU or have their own private practices or just seeing children for ADHD, you know it doesn't have to be cancer. The system is so gunked up that it's gonna take a miracle. It's like yeah. Miracle Max from yeah. Princess Bride. It's gonna take a miracle to figure this out. But you're absolutely right. Your philosophy that it's not gonna come from the, the system. It's gonna come oh, no. from without the systems. It, absolutely, it's gonna come from it, the entrepreneurs always lead the disruption. Right. So it's gonna come from individuals and people coming together to figure out how to d- make, make a difference. And there's plenty of room. Plenty of room. Lots, of, lots of problems. Yes. <laughs> well, lots of problems, but. Again, we, it, it's, it's always exciting to be able to say that we're not, quite, we've come so, we're not quite where we want to be, but look how far we've come. Did I say that right? I think I said that right. Maureen is my we're chief grammarian. Moving officer. In the, we're moving in the right <laughs> direction. <Yes. laughs> exactly. All right, well, we've been talking to Steve Krein and Unity Stokes from Startup Health, which is a unique global platform to help entrepreneurs accelerate health, wellness, and health care online at startuphealth.com, correct? Yeah, that's great. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on the Stupid Cancer Show. And uh, now it is time for our closing
2: sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, upon farewell.
3: Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead.
1: Oh, my goo, <laughs> you've it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 287th broadcast. broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a sick
3: at stupid cancer.
1: I'd
3: like to thank our guests tonight, Tim Spies from Cut to Cancer, and Unity Stokes and Steve Krein from Startup Health. Next week's show, Adolescents and young adult programs in the real world, in real cancer centers, actually doing real things. Yes, that is the name of the show. The AYA movement has fostered huge changes in clinical practice. Really? Yes, really. Join us as we welcome leadership from Oregon Health and Science University's Knight Cancer Institute, Dr. Rebecca Block, Assistant Professor of Medicine, and Young Adult Survivor, Dr. Brandon Hayes, Latin Medical Director of the AWA Oncology Program. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at StupidCancer.org and StupidCancerShow.org. Remember, folks. It Ain't Stupid, It Ain't Cancer, live from the Chemo Deck on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.